Hey, so welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. This week, I'm sitting back down with Roger Brotherton, and together we're talking about God and mushrooms and the experiences that I've had trying to reconcile the two of them together. So taking psilocybin, uh, which is a magic mushroom substance, essentially, the magic mushroom substance, and trying to then look for a God or the idea of spirituality from that place of searching and investigation. It's a really interesting conversation where Roger asks some very adapt questions and I try and portray my experience in a way that hopefully makes some sense to you, the listener. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I just ask you to listen to the whole thing and at the end to reflect upon what you hear and allow that which sticks to stick and that which falls by the wayside to fall by the wayside. We're all humans and we're all different and we're all going to respond to this stuff differently. So that's totally fine, but I hope you enjoy hearing a bit more about my story with Magic Mushrooms. As always, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Cheers. Welcome to When Belief Dies. The aim of this podcast and YouTube channel is to have conversations that honestly reflect on faith, religion, and life. Once a week, every week, we aim to bring you a conversation that explores belief with a variety of guests from various parts of the world, delving into why some subscribe to a specific religion and or denomination and why others have either never believed or decided to walk away from a framework of belief. The more we can understand about why someone holds or rejects a specific religious position, the more honest we can be with the positions we hold as we strive to believe as many true things as possible. This is why it's amazing to have you with us each and every week. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello and welcome to When Belief Dies. Uh, my name is Roger Bretherton and uh, you may know me from previous episodes. Uh, I've been talking with Sam for quite a few months now and on a monthly basis we've sort of been talking about his journey into deconstruction, how that's come about and sort of how I make sense of that from my position as a Christian. But today we're going to take a slightly different approach and um, Sam has been blogging and writing and talking for, for quite a while now about his experience of experimenting with psychedelics uh, in various different ways. And I have to say that, that even though I have some reservations about trying that stuff myself, I've been really, really fascinated by Sam's experiences of it. So today we're sort of going to reverse, uh, reverse the situation really and I'm going to be interviewing Sam and talking to him about where he's up to with psychedelics, what, what he's learning about it, and, and some of the sort of gritty details about what does it involve and what's that like, and what could we all learn about God, about mysticism, about reality from his experience with psychedelics. So that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Sam, let, let me say hello to you. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, bro. I'm doing well, doing well. How are you? Great. Yeah, really good. Uh, what, what are you drinking tonight? What's on your menu? Um, so I've just had a, a rocking Rudolph uh, beer, which I'm drinking at the moment, and I've got a um, another little beer to kind of f finish off the evening with. Um, trying to, I usually usually have whiskey, but I've, I've actually run out of small cups, so I was like, right, well, oh. I have to have beer. I can't, I can't have whiskey, so um, gone for two two beers or one and a half beers, hoping it kind of equates to a single fairly large dram of whiskey. So we'll have to see how that does. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, well, I, I'm also on the beer tonight. Um, so um, unfortunately, I'm a bit of a branding nightmare this evening because I'm <laughs> drinking uh, Brewdog Hazy Jane 
but in a beaver town uh, glass. So um, I don't know if either of them would be happy with that, but there you go. I've advertised both um, and I like both. So it's okay. Uh, uh, for, for those who are listening, we're actually recording. This is the first cold, dark Wednesday, no Thursday night, isn't it? In January. Um, so it does feel like a good night to be sat with a, with a nice beer um, all wrapped up warm inside, doesn't it really? Yeah, I think it's um it's that time of year. It's been extremely cold and snowing today. So um tomorrow there's gonna be the dilemma where we usually take the kids to school and then kind of I then kind of do a run and catch up with Kirsty when she's dropping the youngest off and we kind of run back together. But we're like, is it gonna be too snowy to do this? Uh, there's only one way to find out, and that's to actually start running through some hills. So um so we'll see how tomorrow morning goes. But hopefully it won't be that cold. We'll have to see. Well <laughs> sounds like fun. Um well, well should, we, should we get straight into it then? Maybe if I just sort of frame some of the questions I'd like to ask you, and then you can kind of just come back and tell me if you know what you make of it. Because um, I, I mean, people who are following you and have heard you on the podcast and perhaps read some of your blogs will know that you've been um, experimenting with psychedelics, whatever that means. We'll sort of work that out as we go along. Um, but, but I guess the, the first question I'd sort of ask you about that side of thing is when, when did you start? when did you start experimenting with psychedelics in in this way did, did it sort of come along with your deconstruction and maybe part of that or or was it something that was perhaps there earlier in your life because i know you sort of had quite an intense I, I sort of think of the life of sam davis as sort of the intense christian period followed by the deconstruction and preceded by the, we could call it the teenage rebellion let's say <laughs> of your sort of teenage early adult years um wh where did psychedelic use or the sort of value of that first arise for you great question um so in in regards to drugs in in general um as as a teenager i did a variety of things uh, with my friends um and we never really kind of bridged psychedelics um it was always much more kind of about getting um essentially trashed and just kind of having a laugh on a friday night or whatever and then kind of gave all that up because I realized it just wasn't good for my body and good for my health and it was causing all of us lots of anxiety and lots of problems and um issues with the police and and and, and all sorts of the terrible way to live um so we stopped that most of us essentially got jobs and grew up and stuff and then um obviously I kind of came back to Christianity and got really serious about that and then as, as everybody as everybody listens to the show knows kind of left that a, a couple of years ago and um the psychedelic stuff really came in when I began to question what spirituality post christianity looks like um is it is it possible to have a spirituality and if if so what would that spirituality be is it a spirituality based in some sort of meta world or is it spirituality based within oneself um and the experiences the thoughts the ideas the conscious states that we are as as human beings and um essentially it was really through kind of reading the book waking up by sam harris um and then listening to a few others kind of of similar ilk that i became very aware that there is a substance i.e kind of psilocybin really and 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 others as well but mainly psilocybin we'll talk about today which is kind of the, the, the substance within magic mushrooms that kind of has the hallucinogenic psychedelic effect um that isn't toxic it isn't harmful and actually it can really enable you to connect to yourself and the world around you in ways that um is possible without it um but it's much easier to understand how to get there through taking it and and sam harris in, in his book waking up kind of says you know if, if his daughters touch cocaine he'd be mortified alcohol in moderation is fine tobacco is going to kill them but they'd be he'd be really disappointed if they hadn't tried some sort of psychedelic-esque thing whether that be dmt or psilocybin or something like that um 
and I was like, okay, so there's this there's this guy who I who I really admire, Sam Harris. So I think he's got many flaws. He says lots of things wrong, but actually, he's one of the reasons I began to question my faith as constructively as I did. Um, he he's turning around and saying this stuff, and I use his meditation app, waking up quite regularly as well, and and I've used Headspace and other apps as well to kind of begin to try and understand who I am as Sam, my consciousness, my thoughts and feelings and where those things arise from. And, and he was saying that this substance can help me to connect more effectively to the mesh that is the world around me. Um, whether that be through me or apart from me, that's that's a question we can have later on. But essentially, I began to chase this outside of Christianity um, to begin to try and understand what spirituality looks like post-Christianity. I hope that vaguely answers the question. No, that, that that's really helpful. So, so for you taking so taking psychedelics, we have to sort of detach that from teenage drug taking and craziness and just having a laugh on a Friday night. It's not that it, it, for you. It, it's definitely part of your spiritual journey, for want of a better word. It's part of your kind of investigation of consciousness of what reality is. I, I guess, in a sense, following the deconstruction, where your view. I mean, you had quite a strong structured view of the way the world was and how it was supposed to be and it's a very kind of strict biblical framework really didn't you and it sounds like you're saying that psychedelics came along at the point where you're beginning to ask the question if that isn't the case did you call it a meta world view of this is that what you described it as yeah yeah can you define meta world i haven't heard that phrase before yeah probably poorly like any sort of um sort of um philosophy student would turn around and say this is completely wrong but sort of um um, is is there a is there something that is beyond me and that is almost like something that I can connect with or am connecting with and, and I'm not aware of? Um, so there's the world that I'm in, the tangible things. There's this microphone, you can hear me tapping it. There's in my fingers, I can click, you can hear that. That's so why I can touch my face and my headphones, etc. There's the world and that has, you know, things that aren't tangible as well, like, you know, our finances and relationships, etc. But then there seems to be a meta world, a world wrapped up within the world that isn't really kind of something we can adhere to and i feel like the sort of spirituality of any religion and also on non non-religious spirituality seems to point towards something extra and my question is is that actually a, a meta world that's based beyond oneself or is that something that is actually within us and is something that is more materialistic and more constrained by our brains and consciousness and its emergent properties right again i probably really messed that up but yeah i hope that helps explain a little bit no i i think that's really helpful so it's sort of um if if you like it's sort of experimenting with that bridge between subject and object isn't it it's like it is is god's spirit whatever we want to call it something out there or is it something in here or, or are we completely undercutting that sort of distinction between subject and object that seems to have bedeviled western philosophy for the last 300 years or so really in terms of what, what do we do with that kind of so it's, it's a kind of an exploration of consciousness and reality you're you're sort of dipping into in that so is that is that is that roughly right that yeah yeah that's 100 it yeah that's what you're looking at okay so so given that, that that's the sort of that's where it comes from and that those are the kind of questions you you're you're sort of posing um when you get into it um j just to frame it for the listeners um like how many times roughly have you done it so far? Um, when, how, what were you looking to learn on the occasions that you did it? Who were you with when it happens? Can, can you just give, give us a sense of just, just the sort of scheme of how often are you doing this? And when you do it, what are you doing? Sure. Yeah, I can. I can indeed. Um, so I know a lot of Christians who have heard me talk about this before have turned around and said, 
um, this is why I left Christianity, which is a really interesting take. So just to kind of, I'll come to that in a second, but just to kind of address that to start with, um, this isn't why I left Christianity. And actually, I think from the research I did around the um, addictive nature and the um, benefits and, and harmful potential of psilocybin, um, I would probably still have done it when I was a Christian, actually. Really? Okay. Um, I think there's, there's, there's loads of reasons to prove that it's actually a really helpful thing. But anyway, so it isn't a kind of a a reason to have left Christianity essentially I think many Christians can and, and do do these sorts of things anyway so kind of what does it look like for me my sort of habit or practice so um it isn't escapism so it isn't watching Netflix and trying to forget about the hard day at work you've had it isn't having a beer or four beers on an evening trying to cope with the stresses of life um it isn't me trying to um become something that I want to be like some sort of guru or some sort of leader in this sort of thought space that is kind of the the kind of early 20th uh, 21st century sort of um, psychedelic movement like it, it is for me a way for me to journey and connect with the world around me with nature and with my own innate consciousness so what I'm trying to do when I take this and I take it once every two months probably like it's not a regular occurrence is to take a, a an evening or a day and to go somewhere on my own or with I got one good friend actually who I do it with every now and then and to take this substance to remind myself and to hit the reset button on the world that I live within so I'm, I'm very aware and, and we all are that actually we get really caught up in the in, in the twos and fros of life there seems to be waves that sometimes feel like they're going to drown us and sometimes we feel like we're in like a paddling pool and it's, it's absolutely fine and I realize more often than not things get more and more stressful more and more busy the narratives and the stories and the search and the circumstances around me become too much to cope with. And actually, I used to just go for long walks for a day and just think and mull and pray. And this for me is a way for me to take a long walk for a day and to begin to rip apart the stories that I've constructed around certain things like a job title or what it means to be a, a, a good father or a husband or or what it means to to matter to people and should that even matter and, and death and illness and all these things that I should be concerned about is to rip these things apart to understand that they're actually just constructs that I have put together within my own psyche and the collective psyches of those that I live in the day-to-day -day 21st century world with and recognize that actually there is a conscious substrate to each of us as individuals and you can argue that's in us or outside of us I'm not trying to get to that level but I'm just trying to say there is I believe a conscious substrate within me that seems to be linked to my brain and from that place thoughts and feelings arise very often without me being able to control those um, one minute I could be thinking about worrying about my pension or worrying about my new, new place of work or whatever it is and actually these things happen all the time and to, to try and quiet those voices to reconnect myself with the thing that is before the thoughts and feelings the consciousness that everything comes from and to go okay Okay, what does this look like what does this mean who am i in this place what is a truth in this place um is god even a tangible thing here or is it something else and essentially my, my, my habit is based around the demolition of the constructs to see what sticks when i come back from that place because things will obviously begin to rebuild themselves like I, i'm still married i'm still got a job i've still got to you know look after my two beautiful boys there's still things that i need to adhere to and to pay the bills etc right these things don't disappear but they help to reframe them and replace them correctly and there are some things that just never come back so it could be you know uh, the the thought of um, the podcast for instance very recently when i was on one of these experiences i was like is is it is it worth me carrying when belief dies forwards? Like, is that something that is actually a fruitful, helpful, tangible thing to me and to those I love and to the audience of when belief dies? Um, and I land in a position of, yes, currently, currently it is. And I've got lots of plans for when belief dies and let's carry it on. But one day when I put myself back together, that will no longer have a place in my life. And I need to be able to put that aside. And actually, <clears throat> 
sort of st- stoicism actually wraps really nicely in this and i'm happy to go into that in a little bit but actually i think we all come to that point in our lives anyway and this might sound quite morbid to a lot of people but the sort of idea of death where actually at some point in our lives we'll have to put everything to rest and being able to do that it requires practice and requires you to be able to sacrifice in ways that you might not necessarily understand at that moment and this for me enables me to rip apart the things i think are real and true um, and put them back together in the right way with the right priorities and then to continue forwards from that place um probably got loads of questions so i'll stop blabbing there but yeah no that, that that's really fascinating sam in, in the sense that the way i sort of describe it is you're sort of saying I mean, we're, we're all kind of telling ourselves stories all the time, aren't we? And sometimes we sort of make the mistake of believing that we are our stories and we are the assumptions that we've made um, about the world. I, and um, I mean, as as some of your listeners will know, I, I sort of trained as an existential psychotherapist. So I spent a lot of time really thinking about how we live with these sort of basic assumptions about meaning and relationships and life and all that kind of stuff. And part of my training was about starting to identify those things, not as realities, but as assumptions and defenses and stories that we've told ourselves in order to make life okay for ourselves. Um, and, and it sounds like to me that, that what, what happens to you in psychedelic experiences, you get a kind of fast track to what some people might find it in meditation or prayer or psychotherapy or some people find it running but it sounds like psychedelics for you almost gives you a fast track to that point of clarity where almost you can see what what's what's the sort of what's the wheat and the chaff in life you know what's worth holding on to and what what seems worthy of discarding so that, that's kind of the space you sort of end up in in that consciousness that that's part of it maybe Am I right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, so I'm I'm in between jobs at the moment. So I'm I'm technically still employed by my old place of work and starting a new place of work. And I've had basically four weeks off. Um, and in those four weeks, you know, I thought I'd be chilling with the family and having a kickback time and relaxing stuff. And um, I found myself actually doing loads of sort of background work for when belief dies, reading a few books, writing lots of posts, getting things ready so that the first few months of my new job can just kind of fly by without me worrying too much about this stuff. Um, and it'll just run run itself over um no not 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 in a negative way but like you know churn itself over um anyway so kind of what, what what i realized was that actually throughout these four weeks i hadn't really been that present with my family i've been very much engaging with these things because i had a to-do list there's always one more thing i could do to improve something and um yeah this this experience has helped me to i had an experience a couple of days ago and has helped me to recalibrate and re- reaffirm to myself whether it was worth it whether this i've spent these four weeks correctly and whether or not i should have been doing other things with my time actually helped me to to ask the hard questions about um about yeah what i was engaging with um yeah yeah wow so 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 it it really does have that so almost like it 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 sort of stops the default mode of self that most of us live in all the time where we mistake ourselves for our thoughts and it allows you to sort of just step outside that and reflect um a little bit what uh, what just to get very specific about when when let's take your most recent or, or some of your most recent experiments you can choose which one you want to talk about what what are you actually taking then like what 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 is it you do how do you prepare it where exactly do you go how long does it last? I, I'm just really interested in, in the mechanics of it, it's kind of like if I was designing a retreat day for myself, I'd prep it for a few weeks before and then it would have a sort of element of ritual to it. And it's almost like you're doing the same thing except with psilocybin or with psychedelics. I'm just 
wondering how you prep it, how you set it up, how you know you're ready for it. What what, what does a what does an experiment of this kind look like for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think for, for everybody listening, depending on where you are in the world, there's different legalities around this as well. So just to bear that in mind, um, this isn't something that's, that's legal everywhere. So make sure you check where you are and check what you're, you're okay with and, and, and go with you. Um, but for me, it's essentially about taking a substance. I won't go into what it is. Essentially, it is magic mushrooms. Um, you can go and Google that and work out what that looks like and et cetera, et cetera from there. But basically having a, a very high dosage of, of magic mushrooms, basically, um, before I begin. And then for me, it looks about taking that into nature. So usually going to, uh, there's, a, there's actually like a National Trust place down the road for me, which is absolutely beautiful. And I live in, and I live in the hills. So uh, basically where I live is a very well-known sort of um, Georgian and Victorian uh, place where essentially there's loads of old mills that are now derelict and old Victorian roads that are abandoned and pack horse trails from the 1700s and just, just, just history that's just been forgotten about within the hills. So um, you can just go walking, just stumble across like the most bizarre things, like old, old houses that have been rubbled in and kind of the hillsides come over them they're half half now buried within time you want to like oh, were there more houses behind that have now gone but anyway basically I, I live in a really weird but beautiful part of um of england and um yeah so i basically go and go into the hills here and i take a substance uh, usually a very very high dose um and i then for the next sort of kind of six to eight hours um experience a kind of rocket ship up which is kind of you letting go of your ego and trying to not panic and worry about the fact that you actually aren't who you think you are you are not the person that you're consistently reminding or telling yourself you are that is just a front that you are consistently putting on a face um a a, a sam that is there that isn't actually true or real and then you allow yourself to be the conscious thoughts and feelings that are arising all the time and the hopes and fears within that and then for the next sort of like few hours in, in that space you can really engage with yourself and the world around you um, and you can understand that so much of what we do is complete bullshit it just doesn't make sense we've built worlds and structures to retain this sort of facade that we live within all the time and then kind of coming down i'll do lots and lots of walking during this time and basically come down to a peaceful state and come back home and then i'm you know absolutely fine there's no sort of hangover it's not addictive it's not toxic it's not going to hurt you in that regard it isn't possible to take too much of it like it just isn't you could you like you can actually kill yourself drinking water but you can't kill yourself taking magic mushrooms it is literally impossible um so i find it fascinating there's loads of there's loads of documentaries about this there's loads of research gone into it um it's extremely well documented for the for the helpfulness of depression as well as sort of the fear of death as well and it's used quite a lot in palliative care and stuff i want to I've, I've got a few links to um john john, uh, john hopkins uh, sort of university and, and and study and kind of different people there that teach and, and try this stuff so i've got loads of hopes for the future as well of getting guests on who have like actual kind of phds and, and academic and research knowledge in this space as well so i'm not just trying to to, to tell people this stuff and trying to help people to understand it from that sort of side as well but um essentially that's what it looks like for me it's it's a day or or an afternoon to an evening of resetting the facade and understanding who i am and what i am and the world around me and it allows me to be more gracious and more loving and more holistic in who i am to others as well mm. um so that explains yeah. it in part i'm sure yeah and interesting i mean you're mentioning some of that research i mean that's how i got interested in psychedelics myself i mean i i don't experiment with them personally but um I mean, the, the way you and I met was because I saw you on the Unbelievable show and because I'd been on the Unbelievable show, I think a month or two before you had. Uh, and in, in the conversation I'd had, I, I've been talking to this pretty famous psychologist called Paul Gilbert and his sort of 
field of expertise is compassion and that's all the work he's done on developing compassion in people um and i have to say i i had gone into it given that he's he's quite evolutionary quite a strong evolutionary psychologist i'd gone into it with the assumption that he was an atheist and it was only in us preparing and me talking to him in the in the days running up to our conversation on unbelievable that that he was really clear he said you've got to understand roger that i'm not an atheist and i was like but you sound like an atheist why would you not call yourself that and he said it was the experiments with psychedelics with people um approaching death that had convinced him that that we didn't live in an atheistic universe so it was and i think i probably shouldn't i i shouldn't speculate about whether he's taken psychedelics himself or not i don't know um but it certainly seems like it was really really that research was really really important part of his spiritual journey and for someone i really respected and thought a lot of that was where I, I I started to think there's something really worth looking at here, and then um, I I had um, an undergraduate student at the university that I work in, who um, he he knew that I had an interest in spirituality and asked if he could do a piece of research for his final year dissertation on spirituality, um, I, and gradually it became apparent that that what he really wanted to do was interview people about their experiences on psychedelics. So he sort of interviewed about. 20 30 young adults about their their spiritual experiences on psychedelics and what it did for them and how it changed their lives and what happened as a result and like you actually many of them sort of describing it wasn't just this one-off event it actually fundamentally changed my orientation in terms of compassion and connection uh, and desire to contribute to the world so it, it, I, I sort of came to it through that and then when I started to and then when I met you and I found out you were doing the same thing I was like oh I can talk to someone in a bit more depth about this but but the weird thing is that the moment I started talking to you about it it was like one of those moments where we could say like mushrooms suddenly all these people start popping up around me who were saying that they've tried psychedelics and what they're learning and so I could barely go to a party for about three months where I didn't meet someone who I ended up having a conversation about psychedelics with and I sort of blame you a little bit for that because uh, you were the person who sort of just put it on my radar as something worth thinking about um in that sense yeah I just 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 know as well like I think a lot of people think it's something that you have to do consistently and I mentioned that I have it as, as a routine but it's a very loose routine every few months it's not trying to be like a it's, it's not like smoking cigarettes it's not an addiction and it's something you carry on but but a lot of people a lot of people only ever do it once and once is enough and we kind of touched on it as well and I kind of want to just just briefly mention it one more time but you kind of mentioned sort of meditation and and spirituality and prayer etc and fasting and things but what those things do is they allow you to get the same state you don't need to take magic mushrooms to begin to understand the sort of conscious bedrock upon which everything seems to reside and the the, the thing to recognize about magic mushrooms is what they do is when, when you're doing a meditation you're almost kind of approaching a door opening a door looking through the door and understanding consciousness what magic mushrooms do is they take you to the door they open the door they push you out and they shut the door and you're not coming back for eight hours you're done and you have to reside in that space so it isn't it isn't something just to do i, I think the classic term is willy-nilly right it's not something you just do because you want to just do something fun it's something you do with trepidation and research and understanding and preparation um because you are in the wilderness for quite a long time trying to deal with the demons within you like i've had to process my dyslexia i processed health issues with my eldest child i've processed loads of things i've just I've had i've had the space to come up from within me in that place and i've had to deal with these things whilst meditating as well but it's in that place of complete you are not in control anymore yeah. 
yeah. you really begin to realize there are lots of things within you, lots of demons or bad trips or whatever, other things within you that are trying to manifest themselves you can work through. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And I'm very happy to talk about the sort of spiritual elements as well if you wanted to, but just to kind of make sure I highlight the sort of, you don't have an option when you're on it, you're, you're out the door and the door's shut, the door's <laughs> approaching and you can do what you want. And, uh, and, and the fact that it does begin to open up the areas within you that you need to address and that you need to work through you might never even thought about it but you realize that there's something deeper there that needs to be touched on yeah because I, I mean sometimes when i think about it i i sort of have an analogy in my head and i don't don't know if this works so why don't i tell you and you can kind of tell me if it makes sense to you but um i i i often th would compare it to to lots of other psychoactive substances really so for example in my work as a psychologist, I will work psychologically with people who are depressed about how they could think differently, what they could do, how they could behave differently. And all the aim is to sort of raise mood and increase sense of purpose and pleasure in life and those kind of things. And, and there's really strong psychological means of doing that. But at the same time, you can achieve the same results psychoactively through, you know, wh whether it's through Prozac or other you know specific serotonin reuptake inhibitors you could give someone that actually gives them the mood lift you might be aiming for in psychotherapy without having to go through all that hard work although similarly to what what i hear with people with psychedelics is what i tended to find in therapy is that prozac for example was quite good at lifting people up in the short term but in order for them to sustain that they then had to learn you know they had to make the most of that opportunity to learn and develop habits and strategies and all kinds of other things that they could then take on beyond the point when they were taking um, the medication. And, and I can't help viewing it like that way. You might say meditation, prayer, fasting, et cetera, is more on the sort of what you can do psychologically to change your brain chemistry. Whereas when we're talking about psilocybin psychedelics, we're really just talking about going straight to the source and just pressing the button straight on. Does, does that analogy work or are there, or are there problems with that, that way of viewing it? It's, I'm just trying to kind of get at how you can end up in the same place but through different means so i mean i'm uh, this is probably when i say spiritual i don't necessarily mean like a, a god or anything i know we, we're going to get to that eventually but um i think fundamentally we're all wired in a very very similar way um so you know you, you go back quite a few thousands of years and there was a bottleneck to humanity where we were almost wiped off the face of the earth due to some super volcanoes we, we came together in a very altruistic way we seem to have thrived and survived and then respread across the globe when the um when, when the ice ice age kind of abated essentially after that time and i think that there was a a moment in our history when we became uh, very much similar to each other due to evolution and biology we can only mate with certain people and that means that actually fundamentally most of the people around us today are all wired in very very similar ways um it's not like someone is a neanderthal and someone is a homo sapien like we're all homo sapiens and we all homo sapiens have gone through a funnel bottleneck and come back out again and i think actually there seems to be a bedrock or basis that all people and all animals as far as we can see and even maybe other non sort of um kind of sentient as in talking creatures so we could think, look at jellyfish or even trees as well there seems to be some sort of um basis upon which everything comes from this life source this energy that, that we're rooted in now i don't i don't actually think that that is a god i think it's a natural thing um i think consciousness is is the big question and the big area that resides i think yes the analogy works to a certain extent and it, it isn't necessarily trying to point to a a deity within that sort of going in and pressing the button what it's trying to do is is help everybody to come to the same point because that same point seems to be evolutionary wired throughout our genomes and our, our and our history essentially that's my my take i'm a layman i might be getting that wrong but that's what i believe to be the case mm -hmm. I, and when when you 
take psilocybin or you, you know whatever it is you're you're experimenting with it, you're talking about a six to eight hour process it's not a short thing it's not like a quick hit and it's gone um so it's not like you know snorting coke or something like that this we're talking about an enduring experience that you know that lasts basically a whole day pretty much um if if you think about those experiences uh, like what one of the things that fascinates me is um when do you first know that it's working so i know you've had experience where it hasn't worked like the substance has been wrong or the the growth that's developed that you've been taking hasn't hasn't quite hit the mark in some way and then other times where you definitely know oh yes here it's happening what what for you is the first sign that you're starting to enter into that different state like what's it like in that moment it's a good question um how to say this well so i think it's that yeah so you 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 take something and you you kind of wonder as you're walking around like is this going to take effect is it is it going to work as it worked last time um is the dosage too high or too low kind of how how is this going to be playing out within my head um and and today's kind of journey i guess and um you know it's working when you begin to realize that you're no longer thinking about is it working what's happening what am i doing tomorrow what's my wife thinking etc etc you begin to go i hear water can you hear i, I can hear water coming down from the hills where's that coming from oh there, there's, there's there's a stream there you begin to realize that you're no longer thinking about the external what is but you're looking at the present situation right here and right now you're being far more present than you would usually be and it's sure you, you can be present anyway like i'm not saying you can't but you realize that your natural state shifts from the living in construct land to living in present reality and you're exploring and experiencing the very um sensual and current emotions and feelings that are coming around you and in that point you go i'm not in the same place as i was things are happening now and i'm not who i thought i was i am recognizing that the sorts of fronts or facades that i put up are slowly dropping away in this sort of um sort of hard sort of ego that is that we all live from or live through um essentially goes it's like the sort of um, rider on the horse gets knocked off and you're you're just the horse and you realize that there's so much here that needs to be um lived down and explored and that's when these other things come up so really it's kind of you, you recognize that the externals fall and it's the current situations that reside and you are in that state wow so so it really is a sort of grounding in the here and now like you hear the waterfall and you start to become aware of the world around you and and it sounds like that sort of internal chatter noise those inner monologues they they start to quieten down and suddenly you're sort of being opened up to what's around you that that's fascinating because the, the like what, what i had in mind was um that taking a psychedelic like this was kind of like an LSD trip and suddenly you'd see all kinds of colors and hallucinations and synesthesias and all that kind of stuff. Is that involved as well? Does that happen later or is that part of it? For some people, for, for some people, yeah. So it, I think it, it's very, like, I'm quite a big person. I've got a very, very high metabolism. Um, I seem to process this stuff really quickly. Um, I still say it lasts eight hours because I'm still kind of like just chilling out and coming down off it and stuff. But um, for lots of people, they get a really strong hit straight away and they just see some incredible stuff. Um, and yes, it is very much more of a sort of um, uh, visual or, or auditory experience for people. I mean, it's still the case where if you were to close your eyes in a dark room and you know put a flannel over your head or whatever, you'd still see sort of... Um, the right phrases but like um prisms and sort of triangles and different various shapes that are moving around like that does, does does happen and i have had it where the dosage was so high that the sort of world seemed to sort of um 
move backwards and forwards towards me so like the sort of grass was a vivid green and it was kind of like resonating as if like you know when you hear guitar string it sort of moves in that sort of resonation way like the trees were resonating and the ground around me was resonating it wasn't like a scary or weird thing it was just that i was aware that i was experiencing something very intense i still think as it's all in here like i'm not saying there's some sort of weird thing going on there but um that was when the dosage was extremely high so people do have those sorts of things i tend to be more middle of the road so i tend to be much more like i do see more kind of intense things and i i listen and hear things more intense like i seem to be able to listen to water and, and hear things more effectively and actually hear birds singing and hear a woodpecker that i wouldn't have noticed before or whatever it is and and really kind of hone in on things that that aren't always there to me um and i find that fascinating mm -hmm. but but it's not um i mean it's not the sort of crazy adrenalized description of an experience that I think some people would expect with psychedelics like so I I think um I mean I, I you know I look at what the Beatles came up with after they'd taken LSD and what what you know all, all the kind of crazy colors and synthetic flowers and cartoons and all that kind of stuff where, where everything becomes you know turned up to 11 in this sort of crazy way but but your description it sounds vivid and it sounds very present and it, it sounds sounds quite quite calm in some ways it, it, it is is it because you've also sort of referred sometimes it's intimidating and scary because the sort of self and ego goes out the window how, how does that sort of groundedness and the sort of if you like that the sort of impending apprehensive element of it fit together for you how do those two things come together i'm not asking a very good question i'm trying to get at the experience a little bit yeah i'll try and answer it and if i get it wrong you can re-ask the question i can try again yeah um so I think you're kind of talking about two things. You're talking about the intenseness of other trips that people have. Uh, so for instance, DMT is quite a big one. So DMT is something you smoke usually. I've never done it. Um, you smoke it and you have a hit. It lasts for people outside the experience about five minutes. The person taking the experience, time stops. Um, it seems to be that there is a very common theme of things that you see. So it's like all people that take it seem to have a very common experience where you meet certain sorts of things, like people talk about elves particularly and the purple lady. Um, it seems to be that most people that take this have the same experience. And that's what I mean when I say that we seem to be wired in very similar ways because depending on the substance we take, we seem to kind of cross paths with each other quite consistently in how we're recounting and talking about these things. Um, so, so DMT would be like an exceptionally short but intense trip um, and you're, you are somewhere else like you are not present you're 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 catapulted across the metaverse into some other reality it's just you're gone um with something like magic mushrooms from my experience and what i can tell from others as well is it's a grounding in the reality of the situation today in this moment right now um you're not living in la la land you're living in now but completely living in now like you're you're experiencing the water running down the dry stone wall the moss that is on that dry stone wall you're experiencing the trees move gently in the wind things you would just not ever think about as you walk past them are becoming more vivid and more real and more tangible and you're allowing yourself the space to be and if you were to look at so if i was to look at you and you sit in front of me and looking face to face like i would see you but around me the things i would usually just my peripherals would just accept are there like the grass moving or the wind hitting the trees or whatever it is things happening uh, you pick them up your 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 vision seems to become more expansive and you seem to be able to be more aware of of things going on in your peripherals and you would usually be so it, it for, for me it's a grounding substance it's not a kind of um catapult substance it's not trying to push me into something it's trying to help me become more present today right here um because that's what i'm that's what i'm after i'm not after some sort of crazy trip um maybe i will be one day but right now i'm, I'm much more after a grounding reality to the world around me so that i can be more 
holistic and real um and for people who hear me say hey so magic mushrooms and it's it's illegal in the uk and it's not the sort of thing people usually do like they're going to be this guy is just a massive hippie or he's just a stoner or whatever and that's totally fine but i, I believe one day it will be legal and i think one day this will be a a very normal thing to do probably in some sort of like controlled way I, I would hope or you go to a an away retreat with somebody you take something like ayahuasca or something like that and you're brought along a journey of some sort of spiritual element because i think as humans we're spiritual not only we're connecting to god's sense but in, on the sort of there is something within us more fundamental that we don't seem to listen to or fill and that for me is is the conscious bedrock upon which we stand where the sort of thoughts and feelings and constructs then come come after but that thing that we're, we're based on i've mentioned the sort of the plate of consciousness a few times before um that i think is what we pay attention to when we pray when we fast when we meditate when we do things like psilocybin and i think things like lsd uh probably cocaine heroin alcohol um if they're um, suppressants or um helping you get really high on something are pushing you out in this construct here and you're experiencing something whereas actually i'm much more interested in in this plate here and kind of what it is that that grounds me into the reality and help me to consciously um yeah interact with and and abide within the space that i call my life today will you support when belief dies your support enables us to keep having these conversations and improving everything we do there are three ways you can support when belief dies firstly would you rate when belief dies in apple podcasts and over on audible Rating us in these spaces boosts our visibility. Secondly, would you share this episode with your family, friends and followers? We grow mainly through word of mouth, so please consider who might find this a helpful conversation and share it with them. Lastly, would you consider supporting the show financially? You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal or Bitcoin. Everything you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog, podcast and YouTube channel. All the links are in the description and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's conversation. Yeah, because when when you talk about it, I am, um, I mean, I immediately see resonances between your experiences on this uh, and my experiences in contemplative prayer, prayer, mysticism, things like that. And it's one of the reasons why I was just really keen to talk about it. Um, but ju just before we get to that, I guess one of the things I'm really aware of is that as a result of that sort of enhanced experience of reality of the here and now that you've had when you've been um, taking psychedelics, it seems to me that, that there's some things you've come to sort of perceive and believe more strongly and then other things that you've sort of decided that that's not it and I just wonder just before we, we get into perhaps more of the explicit spiritual stuff maybe just to talk about some of that for a minute um I, I guess the first thing is when when you've tried to describe some of your experiences to me you've used phrases like I I think you've used these phrases so correct me if I'm wrong you've, you've talked about things like non-dual awareness um sort of a, a, a sort of universal consciousness I think sometimes you've mentioned something called panpsychism to try and get at what, what you might be sort of experiencing during these moments. So two questions, really. Am I quoting you correctly back to you? Or have you said those things? And secondly, if you have, what 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 do you mean by that? And what, what are you learning and therefore picking up through psychedelics? 
Yeah, um, I'll do my best to answer. So um, non-duality. So duality is the idea that um, that there are two things going on. Um, essentially, there is the sort of um, physical world around you and there's you and that you're, you're two distinct things, basically. And non-duality kind of strips away the you and you recognize that you are just part of the world around you. So it's, it's, it's almost like there is not a there's not two planes of existence that are going along and you're just here for the ride for a little bit. Then you you're born and you'll die and that's your plane. It actually says that there is always kind of not necessarily always you but there is just one plane and you're just abiding within it for a time but you're still very much firmly rooted and grounded and that's that i believe that's how you'd kind of define non-duality it's this um it's, it's the stripping away of ego and self so it's the sort of thing that happens when you're on magic mushrooms and meditating on prayer potentially contemplative prayer especially um it, that that would be a, a non-dualistic sort of practice essentially um and then panpsychism is essentially something that's been kind of um poo-pooed very very rigorously throughout the sort of last 200 years but um it's becoming more and more prevalent so there's a great book on it and we're going to be having him for, for a live stream soon a guy called um uh, philip goff wrote a great book called um galileo's error that looks at sort of um science and there are other sort of panpsychists or people who are interested in panpsychism that i want to talk to but um a very loose description again i'm not an expert i'm just very interested in this would be so panpsychism says that potentially everything but most things have some sort of level of awareness of what it would be like to be that thing so um, a really famous um, essay by a guy called thomas nagel is called um uh, something along the lines of um what it what it would be like to be a bat so there, there will be a conscious experience that a bat has and if you're possible if it's possible to have a conscious experience in that place and it's possible to also have other conscious experiences so there are there are other things that are conscious and when you actually begin to really try and do the hard work of working out where consciousness isn't isn't it isn't as clear as it first it first seems so somebody could point at a rock and go well that's not conscious and there's debates about that for sure but a really interesting example would be there are certain trees in canada um, who recognize um, other trees growing around them and will divert minerals to not those trees but that they're their offsprings they can recognize the offspring and foreign tree and they basically work with the mycelium network mycelium is the substance that mushrooms grow from to basically re-divert nutrients to the plants that are their brethren and ignore the foreign invaders essentially within their soil so they aren't eating the nutrients and killing off the trees um certain trees will, will tell themselves to die essentially to produce more room for a bigger tree it needs to do there are loads of ways that we could say this isn't consciousness but it seems to be very hard to actually define consciousness and then to begin to work from position of moving forward so panpsychism essentially says that there seems to be a fundamental sorry there seems to be a fundamental property to the universe which is seems to be consciousness and what if actually consciousness is the fundamental property then the natural world rests upon that rather than the natural world being the fundamental thing and then everything else resting on it and so a lot of my friends are materialists and i am in many ways as well but the, the one area where i have a question mark really is around consciousness and is it an emergent property from the brain so when i say that i mean is it something that happens because our atoms and our neurons are connected in a very specific way so that from that position we can begin to be conscious to the level that we are we can we can be we're, we're aware that we're aware for instance that's a very very high level of consciousness and um, that most other animals don't seem to possess sure a sheep can know it's in pain but it's probably not aware that it's aware that it's in pain it's aware it's in pain if that makes sense um and then you can begin to go well, it's still consciousness it's just different to ours and you begin to ask okay well how do we become 
Like what 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 are the extremes of consciousness? So so panpsychism basically turns around and says, um, is it everything in the universe that has some sort of conscious level, um, or is it just certain things? And and it begins to ask questions through a new sort of lens. And it's a really exciting space. Annika Harris um, wrote a great book on on consciousness essentially, and I'll try and link it in the description for this video. But um, she's got a great series coming out soon. I think it's going to be called something like Lights On, where she basically talks to an array of um, neuropsychologists and, um, and and neuroscientists and and psychologists of sorts and talks about the idea of sort of consciousness and, and the emergence or unemergence pro and properties of it and um, breaks into that into that ground quite refreshingly so um yeah that that that'd be an interesting space to explore i think i think the next hundred years are going to be really really eye-opening for our understanding of what consciousness is and its fundamental properties within living and non-living matter yeah I, I find all that so fascinating sam and i i i would that kind of that notion of non-duality as you talk about it and then the notion of panpsychism i guess i would put them together because what what comes to my mind as i'm hearing you say that is um ever read any of the work by the transpersonal psychologist ken wilber have you encountered any of his that rings a bell but i think you probably have told me about yeah. ken wilber before but anyway carry on perhaps, perhaps i've talked about it but, but he basically has what he calls um a perennial psychology in the same way that Aldous Huxley had the sort of perennial philosophy which he says this is the philosophy that underlies all religions that, that was his idea whether we agree with it or not whereas Ken Wilber said no I, I think what we really have is a perennial psychology and he says this is the psychology that seems to underlie the human religious impulse and basically his view of it is that we are um we're separated from the world by a series of dualisms and the, the first dualism is me and everything else and the next dualism is uh my my mind and my body and then the next dualism um beyond that is um actually within our personality so it's the bits of me i like that's me and the bits of me i don't like that i stuff into shadow and ignore and so he has this idea that basically life means that we end up just living in some tiny corner of our brain as if that's who we are and that truly spiritual and religious experiences is about the breakdown of all those the, those sort of dualisms so we end up sort of realizing that we are we are part of everything and everything is part of us and that we are intimately related and cannot survive or live without even being separated from all those kind of things and it sounds to me like that there's almost a sort of weirdly similar insight is coming out when when you're taking psychedelics um in some way yeah that there are and i think it, these these seem to be documented throughout at least the last 2500 years right there's there's lots of documentation and when, if you go back to like cave paintings of mushrooms and sort of ancient figurines of mushrooms it's, it's far further than that um but so so i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of, of sort of the, the classic stoic practices and and, and stoicism in, in the sort of ancient sort of greek and roman era not the sort of stiff upper lip uh, stiff upper lip stoicism that people would claim you know people practice today and and the sort of fundamental idea of stoicism is um essentially the things that we react to in the world aren't actually the events themselves there are judgments of the events so something would happen um say um would be a good example um you find out that you've got a tax bill that's far bigger than you thought it would be and um, it's not actually the tax bill that you're going to respond to it's your interpretation of that tax bill that you're going to respond to and it's from that judgment of the event that's taken place or the thing you found out that is where the sort of um 
the sort of area of work is possible. So it'd be it'd be impossible for you to fix the fact you're going to get a letter to a door with, with a higher tax amount you need to pay than, than than you thought you would. Like you can't, you just can't control destiny. It's going to happen the way it's going to happen. But you are able to begin to try and control how you respond to it, and and that in itself is 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 an is an admittance of non duality. This this idea that um, actually you can begin to control that that sort of second layer, the first layer you can't, you, but the second layer you are in some capacity able to control um i'm sure there's biology and genetics and all these things in there that means that you're going to respond in certain ways more more likely than others but actually you begin to work out through things like magic mushrooms and, and other sort of um grounding practices i'd call them that you are more in control than you thought you were if you allow yourself to come back to the bedrock upon which you're built um so yeah, yeah. it's it's fascinating because all all of that really is the foundation of many sort of modern psychotherapies as well you know so cognitive therapy for example very much is based on the idea of your thoughts are not facts um uh, and that it's the meaning we make of things that that is the thing that truly disturbs us um and then obviously you find the same theme comes up in lo lots of sort of buddhist practice but it also i mean there's there's a history of sort of that way of viewing things that that some sort of scholars of mysticism in christianity would say that goes you know right the way back to the beginning of christianity as well that that's in there as well it becomes particularly strong kind of in the desert fathers and onwards from then um so it's just really interesting to hear the similarities the parallels there um now the thing you said is you said um earlier on that some people have sort of mistakenly thought that that it was using psychedelics that that sort of made you lose your faith so some people have said that and you you're, you've said that isn't the case and you can expand on that in a second if you want to um but but it does seem to me that one of the things that has happened while you've been taking psychedelics from the descriptions you've given me is it has been one of the things that has sort of confirmed to you that the way in which you were perhaps constructing god in the way you held your faith previously was illusionary wasn't right so so you wrote a quite an amazing blog piece about um, really sitting in the woods weeping for um, the loss of Jesus slash Aslan uh, as God, really, that, that that sort of image of God as the, the sort of companion that accompanies you all the time in this sort of quite almost physicalized way is an illusion, is non-existent. But one of the things that's funny here is that, that I often joke that when I speak to churches, I, I often feel that they sometimes think that Jesus is Aslan, that there's a fundamental confusion in many Christian, Christians about whether we're really worshipping Jesus or Aslan. Who is this we're worshipping? But that, that's another thing uh, to leave at a side. But I, I mean, I found your writing on that particularly heartbreaking and moving, really. I think when I first wrote it, I, I sent you a text saying I had to sit down for 20 minutes after reading it because I really felt both the pain and the trauma but also kind of the freedom and the breakthrough that came as a result of that insight do, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and then maybe if you want to extend and talk a little bit about why psychedelics isn't what caused you to lose your faith do you want, do you want to just talk about what, what tell us a little bit about that experience of sort of realizing that god wasn't the way you you thought he was um as a result of psychedelics yeah sure so just to kind of let people know listening to this that some some of the blog posts i sent roger aren't out yet roger and me have a really close relationship so i i send roger things like years years in advance to most other people so um if you go over to the blog basically there's like a filter category at the bottom where you can search the different tags um most of it sort of summarized within under the tag psilocybin so just click on that i think there's two posts there at the moment but there'll be there'll be more over the coming months and years so just just check back there when you're 
listen to this. Yeah, is that is that one I've just mentioned out? It's, yeah, it's the I next one to get released. Um, okay, and it's right. it's yeah. the one that I'm most proud of writing. I've written a few that I'm really proud of, but that's the the blog post that I'm most proud of writing. Um and it's coming out imminently. Yeah, yeah. very, very soon. Um yeah, I might, I might bring it forward actually, so it comes in line with this. We'll have to see if I can do that. But um, basically, the the experience I had was one where, and, and I mentioned this already. Where basically, when you take magic mushrooms, you're stripping yourself away, and you're left with the very core essence of who you are, the thing that you're built from, that that bedrock, basically place. You're living in a very present, current moment, and you're looking at the world around you and looking at your life and going, well, "What is these? Um, how does it make sense? And who am I within this space?" And and you're just able to be basically, and in that place. I deliberately went out to do this and basically cried out to God. And I said to him, like, if you're real and you're truly what your scripture says you are and what your people say you are and who you claim to be, show yourself to me. I, I cannot be more open. I cannot be more myself than I am right now. All the constructs are gone. All the bullshit's gone. All the I need to be a, a strong atheist podcaster or blogger is gone. It's me. And this is I can never be more real than I am in this moment right now reveal yourself to me and i read him um, I, I forget what it where it is now but there's a bit where um i think one, one of the prophets basically cries out to god and he's not in the wind he's not in the, the thunderstorm he's not in the volcano he's in the sort of still quiet voice and i i had david suchet reading that passage i think it's one or two kings um whilst i was saying all this and just kind of sat there and just opened myself up and said like just reveal yourself to me show me that you're real like come on i if 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 you are truly there i want to know it then i can then from that place decide whether i want to follow you or not but show me that you are there and there was complete silence and it was in that moment that everything within me broke basically and i realized that there is no coming back there is no god that i once believed in the the jesus i was told is true is not there all that i have in this moment right now is this connection to the world around me about half an hour i sat there just crying basically within the sort of um i think it's yeah i basically wrote within the sort of red autumn leaves um in this ravine that i was sitting where i, I knew all at once i'd lost everything that i thought was true fully and that that was the chapter closing of a book that i didn't realize was going to shut and i had to put that book on the shelf and i had to recognize that i there is no coming back from this place where um i cried out and i was left like a child reaching out for their father with no hands and no rest to, to lean upon and um yeah kind of use aslan as the example of a, a a present figure who is all loving and all knowing and there with them and sure he's here sometimes he's not here other times he's a wild lion and all this sort of stuff but um, he's always there at the moment of need the moment when the children need him the most they cry aslan aslan where are you he's there and that's the same that we were told about jesus that he is the one that is always there in all the situations and um, I just recognized that that wasn't true, basically, that that was no longer what it looked like. And that made me reevaluate what I thought about things like Christians going through the gulags or the um, concentration camps for the Jews and these people that cry out and hope in a God and realize that as they're gasping their last breath in a gas chamber, there's no one fucking there. That's that's the end of the story for them. Sam Harris has a really interesting line in his book, The End of Faith, where he talks about people um, crying out for gods to protect their property as the sort of tornadoes are coming in, the hurricanes, whatever they are, and the water levels are rising and rising, and people are drowning in their attics, uh, crying out to a god that does not answer them. And there is this basic claim within Christianity that there is a god who functions within this world that loves us enough to come to this earth to forgive us of the sins that we committed against him to re-imbue us with his presence and his purpose and to know us intimately as his people to give us direction and purpose and clarity as his bride to outwork him into this world and um 
from what I've seen of his bride, it's a it's a it's a monster in a dress ravaging the landscape and destroying people. And you laugh, but that's that's how I that's how I view it. Um, from what I, I know, I've seen Bridezilla in my head. Bridezilla, yeah. basically, it's, it's Bridezilla. Yeah. Um, and from what I know about the god that I should be able to connect with and interact with, and and know, there is nothing but a silent void. Um, and I'm really interested in hearing what people's stories are about about God and, and their thoughts about him. So I'm listening to um, 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 some um, Fyodor Dostoevsky at the moment, listen to Crime Punishment, and then listen to the brothers Karol Karamazov, how we pronounce it afterwards. But I'm very interested to understand sort of Christianity from various angles and to try and begin to see atheism as well through those lenses. But in that place, essentially, where I cried out to God, I realized that the thing that I once held to be him has gone. And if he is true and he is real, he's not what I thought he was. Um, so yeah, I hope that kind of answers what you were saying. I, I think it more than answers it, Sam. Uh, apologies if me laughing came across as disrespectful in that moment. I didn't mean it to be um it, it it to me that that sort of account to me is so profound and it, I, I think it resonates with everybody doesn't it i think whether you believe in god or don't believe in god so so as a christian for me to hear that account is to be challenged by it and to go yeah i've been there too um and therefore there's almost a part of me you know i could respond defensively and quickly to it and go oh yeah but there's something in the silence you know when you get to that point that's when you're really meeting god etc but i think it's better for me not to and just to acknowledge that and go yeah i, I kind of i hear that and and i sort of respect your your willingness to stay in that i think the temptation is is to leap away from it isn't it and then seek seek some other delusion that will be more comforting um than that sort of empty universe you encounter in that moment but i think it's it's important both for you in that situation and for me and how i respond to it now just to go yeah I, let's let's just acknowledge the profundity and the importance of that that sort of moment um so, so maybe if, if i move away from that just a little bit then and ask a slightly different question um because i guess for me when i hear you describing your experience of psychedelics I, I can't help sort of drawing parallels between those and, and my experience. I, I guess it, my my Christianity, yes, it has been evangelical as, as yours was um, and perhaps Pentecostal and wacky sort of hands in the air and happy clappy and all that's all been happy clappy stuff's all been there as well. But fundamentally, really, my Christianity has been held together by regular mystical experience really i would almost view that that that's my sort of experience has been that experience of here and now the world coming alive of things being vivid um and i know when you and i have talked about these sort of moments um in podcasts whether it's through centering prayer or whether it's through praying the jesus prayer whether it's through meditation or whatever um i i've sort of viewed it as those are moments where i encounter this unconditional love that sort of that the, the background of everything you've sort of felt as you said in your story really that there's nothing there um, from your experience and I think we just kind of have to respect those kind of different perspectives for now but but I guess the, the question I want to ask is so are those experiences those moments where if you like your construct of God falls to pieces um 
for me that they were kind of the beginning of my real experience of God, really, like the moment when I, you know, my idea of who I thought God was just was always too small, always too useless. E even the idea that, that you know, that, that God will always protect me, defend me, etc. Um, you know, that, that there is this sort of deal we can do with God that means he'll always protect us. Even that, you know, is is clearly not true, um, much as I'd like it to be. Um, I, I guess my question for you is, so was that experience of your construct of God falling apart, was that something that only began when you deconstructed and worked with psychedelics? Or, or was it was it part of your Christian experience as well? I'm just really fascinated to know to what extent that kind of experience was part. Because for me, it's a, such an important part of Christianity as I live it. I'm just I'm always interested in how different your experience of Christianity was. So, so was that sort of, uh, I hope I'm putting this right, was that sort of the God construct falling apart part of your Christianity just as much as it might be part of whatever whatever you call yourself now? Y yes, basically. So when I first started really kind of reading around this, and I mentioned Sapiens a few times, it's a book that began to get me thinking, but at the same time, I realized I had a sort of chronic back problem that I still have and, and recognized that um, my little boy, basically, who was very young at the time and cursed to either was just pregnant or wasn't even pregnant with our second at this point um he was running he was running down past lake buttermere and actually the sort of when belief dies logo is meant to represent the lake district for, for this reason is i began to to see him run and see him laugh and jump and i couldn't run with him and i was kind of like but i really i'm made to be with my boy and i know that my god would want me to run and pick up and chase and love this this little boy and be complete with him um and i wasn't able to do that and so for me that was the first sort of signs that actually um i'm sure i know about disabilities in the past people hadn't been have full use of their bodies etc etc but i began to kind of say so where are the lines then where, where is where is too much and where is too little and how does this god kind of help us to live within these sort of constraints of he'll allow this but not not too much you, you're always told aren't you at church or i was always told at church that god will only ever push you to your limits will never let you go over your limits they won't let you have that stick that's too much even if it's your sort of you're being martyred for him he won't ever allow you to go through more than you can cope with um and that was one of the first things to break for me when i realized as i've already mentioned the gulags and the sort of um concentration camps as i realized that that's just not true like humans have been broken probably by other humans more than nature in horrific ways i'm sure nature has done horrific things but humans deliberately create havoc whereas nature by her own sort of way does it and it's not on purpose as a sort of human conscious decision is so it was that running through the lakes with my little boy being unable to, to keep up and he was, a little, he was like two or three like he wasn't going fast like i couldn't because of my back couldn't pick him up had to play on the floor for the next day or so because i couldn't stand up i was in so much pain and it was that that really made me begin to ask some big questions so yeah i had began to deconstruct god before i began to deconstruct the sort of kind of classic christianity that i was in yeah and and i mean the passage you're, you're referring to you know the passage that said god will never test you beyond your ability to endure isn't it and um you have to say as a you know as a psychologist who's worked in trauma that's always been a passage i've sort of struggled with in terms of is it is it a kind of actual statement of fact or is it just a piece of rhetoric that is basically saying 
you know, you may think you're at the end of your rope, but there's always a bit more resourcefulness there. And um, it's probably too much to get into all that right now, but um, let's acknowledge that that passage is pretty difficult to make sense of in a world that's deeply painful and traumatic. Um, let, let's let's start to wrap things up a little bit then. So, um, I, I mean, I, I hear your experiences and as you can hear, I'm fascinated by them. And so there's no way that I want to invalidate or discount what, what you experience um, with psychedelics and things like that. Um, it probably does become clear as we've talked though, I don't really want, to, I don't feel ready to join you in them right now. So I, I have all kinds of sort of reservations about what about using psychedelics in lots of different ways and and to be honest i'm sort of tempted in some ways to go into them in other ways not um you know I, like the illegality of it bothers me but to be honest I, I there's plenty of other areas where i'm happy to accept that something can still be illegal and yet be a good idea so it's not really that i think i have some i've had some bad experiences in my teenage years of friends who were sort of experimenting with these kind of things um and I didn't like what it did to them as people in the sense that they seem it could have just been that they were teenagers. They seemed to become on one hand, they were telling me they were becoming more loving and cared for people more. And on the other hand, I was seeing them becoming much more egocentric and things like that. So I have a bit of a sort of bad sort of vibe of it um, on that level. Um, I think also there's a sort of nervousness in me that um, not just about what you've said that it kind of opens a door that you go through and then you can't get back there's a sort of nervousness in me about the irreversibility of it so you know sometimes i sort of meet people who have bad trips and don't seem to be able to have got over it in any way and i don't know if that did they take the wrong stuff was it the wrong context did they prepare badly i don't know um but but that among many many other things that that's the kind of bit like when i've looked into it and i've sort of heard from people who've who've sort of are experts in psychedelics really they've really said um you know if you're at all nervous about it or you have he any hesitation about it don't do it you know and so basically that's where i'm at, at the moment it's like if i don't want to do it i probably just shouldn't and um given that i'm sort of experiencing sort of similar experiences in a sort of milder way through prayer and meditation and breathing and other kind of things i, I sort of feel like right now um I don't want to go there but but i guess the question i'm interested with you is did you have any of those reservations yourself before you got into it and, and if so what what was it that that got you over them yeah lo lots of reservations i was very nervous and very scared about what i was going to experience i think like set and setting are vital to get this right like you have to set yourself up for it and you have to make sure you're in the correct setting to take it and you have to have inevitabilities facts into that like if you're going for a walk in the woods you're going to come across people walking dogs for instance and how you're going to respond to that and you know it's not obvious when people are on magic mushrooms like they're not going oh i'm freaking out like it you just you can just be normal and just cope with it and i've learned how to do that quite effectively but i think there was a lot of tension around why i was going to take it especially talking to my wife about it and the fact that it is legal and the fact that um i also think that i'm only going to get this one life i don't think there's i don't think there's an afterlife I hate to pay the hate to break that hate to break that to you roger but i don't think there's an afterlife um and i kind of thought um you know it'd be important to really begin to in this life understand who i am and to be completely honest with you if my children didn't do it i'd be a bit worried and a bit concerned i think that there is something that it can teach everybody even if they just do it once that is irreversible in its ability to help you to connect and understand this life we live and who we are actually within it um, for instance i 
I think we can build back up our fears, but I think fundamentally when you actually look at us as conscious creatures, at the constructs we create and at the death that we fear, you can lose that fear of death. Like it can drop away and you can actually be in a position where you can go, it is okay. Like death, death is actually okay. And that for a lot of people is really scary because it's the, it's the, that's the ultimate ego end, right? That is when it's all going to stop. Um, but actually there seems to be a lot of people who've said a lot of amazing things about them and have done them and have done them in a controlled way. And they have had profound, irreversible experiences that have helped them to overcome a lot of stuff. There are loads of people who've done them in the incorrect way where they've just got trashed at a party. They've been really drunk and done them or whatever it is. And, and they've claimed the hippie sort of, I'm more loving, more peaceful, whatever, but actually they've, horrified themselves and taken things to, to doses that are out there just not able to cope with and they haven't gone into it in the right way um and that's what i mean by setting setting like making sure you have a regular sort of like meditation practice you understand what looking at consciousness is you begin to understand how you are structured the sort of ways that you you struggle or don't struggle to connect with your consciousness the sorts of classic thoughts and feelings that arise within you whether it's lust or whether it's greed or whether it's thinking about work or fears of what people think about you whatever you begin to understand who you are more and, and we're all different and when you really want to begin to dive deeper into that space you can yeah drop away from that fear and, and crack on with it but um like I, I hope my children do it as weird as that sounds like it'd be it'd be a shame if they didn't do it and i hope many of my friends do it because it'd be a shame if they don't do it as well and you know i'm not gonna make anyone do anything but actually i think there is so much we can learn about ourselves and those that we love and live with and those that we are one day going to meet through these substances because they enable us as i've already mentioned to have that crossover that we're, we're all very similar creatures in very very similar situations with the same bedrocks beneath us all as far as we're aware so yeah that it's that's such a good question to ask sam isn't it about you know would you be happy you know would you recommend it or like your kids to do this you know i think that's a really really good way to sort of gauge what your values are and what you think is important um because because interesting as you said that I, you know i thought um yeah so, so so i have i have a defensive reaction i don't want my kids to do it you know maybe they will i, I won't oh you know i won't go off the wall <laughs> They're not. I, I'm never introducing them to you, Sam. <laughs> you know, maybe they will in, in the way that your kids do all kinds of things you don't want them to do. But but my gut reaction is no, I don't want them doing that. Um, but but then I think the point about death is really really important as well because even though I, I guess you know I believe as a Christian I believe in eternal life, believe there's something beyond this. Um, I nevertheless still have that pretty strong existential sense that death is the end. That in terms of my life as it is now has to be lived, you know, that, that that deadline literally is a deadline, that it's not just pop and I just change shape and move on to some other field in some way, you know, that that if if um if there is something beyond it this, that's completely up to God or whoever decides that that side of things. So so life is it. And I think my, my sort of response to that sense of death being that deadline and therefore life almost has like a a mission quality to it where you're sort of you're sitting the exam paper all the way along it's not the final judgment isn't the exam paper if you know if that exists this is the exam paper this is the submission um and um and my response is, is similar to yours in the sense that i therefore do think you know part of my spirituality is pursuing as much of god as i possibly can in that period of time because for me at the moment through centering prayer through mysticism through contemplative practices through meditation etc that's where i feel you know i'm meeting ultimate reality 
in those processes. And, and for me at the moment, that ultimate reality is intimately linked with Christianity. But then if we were to break, you know, if we were to strip the content from our experiences, I'm not sure my experiences of what I would call meeting God in the here and now are that different from yours of meeting reality in the here and now. Um, and I just find that that sort of that comparison, that parallel just so fascinating. And um, neither of us really know what that means. It's just we're sort of having this what seems to me a universal human experience and doing our best to make sense of it from the various sort of interpretative things that have been put in our hands to try and get hold of it. Shoot, do, do you want to, I, I mean, you can respond to that, but then also I wonder, may, maybe just to finish off, do, do you, is there some final thing you want to say in terms of summarizing, you know, what you're currently learning, what comes next, perhaps ultimately where, where you hope to end up in terms of the questions you're sat with, with psychedelics? Well, wow, that's, a, that's a big, big way to end. Um, so I think just going back to what you mentioned about our experiences being very similar, um, but being different, I think the reality is that I am damaged goods. Um, I think, you know, the, the sort of idea of God that I had and I was raised with has been completely smashed apart by rocks that I didn't even throw. Like it's the, the statue's down um, and it's been thrown in the river and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, whereas I think other people, they've managed to remold and reshape their Christianity. And I, I never did that. I never could do that. It just didn't work for me. So I don't think I had a choice necessarily in, in doing that. But I think we come to it with different versions and different lenses just through who we are and the life experience we have and i find that's a very interesting question about sort of god and sort of eternal destiny within that space it's very interesting probably one to part for a future day but i think having a look at the crossover between your experience and my experience and what makes you think it's god and what makes me think it's not god could be quite an interesting conversation um anyway so parking that i think for me and my future with this stuff um i don't imagine necessarily more coming from it i think what i find exceptionally helpful within this space is the ability to allow things within my subconscious that i'm not aware that i need to process and deal with to naturally come to the fore without any way for me to recognize they're coming and for me to then have to work those through to have to be able to give space and quality time to the specific areas of my life that need addressing that I'm just too busy in the day-to-day -to, -day to even know that they're an issue, but actually they pop up and I weep. I weep at the fact that I couldn't pronounce the the, the, the name um, Hermione from Harry Potter and I called her Hermione for like the first four books because I'm dyslexic and how that's actually, without me even realizing it until I went through a magic mushroom experience, that actually makes me really nervous about pronouncing somebody's name unless I've heard it spoken to me first. And actually that's a, that's a massive thing to recognize. I still, I'm about to start a new job and I'm going to be fearful about pronouncing people's names and i just thought that's a normal thing but actually it's because of my dyslexia my inability to articulate things that aren't don't make sense to me when i look at them because i don't i don't spell words out i have patterns that words make sense to me through so so that that for me is a profound thing that i've learned through magic mushrooms that i've been able to grieve that and actually understand myself better through it so i think the future for me looks like creating the space to continue this very slowly a couple of times a year just allow this to become a practice alongside my daily meditation practice. I do yoga most days for my stretching my back as well. And again, that's a very much a grounding practice to allow grounding practices to help me to be more present. Um, and I'll introduce that to my family. Like I, my, my, my wife would be the first to say that I, I completely and utterly fuck this up every single time I interact with anybody. Like I'm instantly failing at being present and being grounded and being real, but she knows what I'm trying to achieve and she's willing to work with me through it. So she knows that a certain touch on the arm or a look or something helps me go, no, she's right. I'm not 
responding to the kids in the in a, in a present way here i have an expectation of what they should be doing they're doing something else and i'm responding to my judgment of what they should be doing i'm not responding to what they're actually doing it's my judgment i'm responding to i need to reaffirm and rechange who i am so stoicism for instance is, is another sort of grounding practice that i'm beginning to introduce to my life and again stoicism is all about practicing no one is the perfect stoic you're going to have to work at this for the rest of your life so th there's there's so much work to be done in in enabling myself to become present and real and back to who I am. So I think a lot of people think, well, just, you know, you, you don't believe in God, just live your own life, go and just be, just get a job, get loads of money, just enjoy life. But actually for me, through what I've experienced through the natural circumstances of life, the more that I strip away of myself and the bedrock I look upon which everything's built, I want to get to that position and I want to stay there and I want to be present and real and here. Yeah, sure, planning for the future and living into that, but actually being able to be present with my children in a room and recognizing that for instance my, my my youngest is turning four in a couple of days time it's a big deal for us um, um he fell asleep whilst we were watching tv in my arms a few weeks ago and i was like this could very well be the last time my child ever falls asleep in my arms like this might and probably will never happen again like my eldest is never going to fall asleep in my arms again he wants to wiggle out of that as soon as he can like but my youngest um he's still in that sort of cute acute and docile state where he might just do it one more time and and spending time to be present and recognizing that is such a big thing because i hadn't noticed falling asleep i was on my phone scrolling while they were watching tv and i just looked down he was asleep. i was like if i don't stop and actually recognize this right now this might never happen again and actually just having the ability to be more present anyway in that situation is um is one of the most amazing gifts I could have ever been given from 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 nature, from from this world, and um, I want to make the most of it whilst I'm still here. Welcome to When Belief Dies. The aim of this podcast and YouTube channel is to have conversations that honestly reflect on faith, religion, and life. Once a week, every week. We aim to bring you a conversation that explores belief with a variety of guests from various parts of the world, delving into why some subscribe to a specific religion and or denomination, and why others have either never believed or decided to walk away from a framework of belief. The more we can understand about why someone holds or rejects a specific religious position, the more honest we can be with the positions we hold as we strive to believe as many true things as possible. This is why it's amazing to have you with us each and every week. We hope you enjoy this conversation.